Suddenly we heard a really loud thud coming from outside the window. The window we had just climbed in. I'm Tom Stewart, and this is my paranormal story. Before I start this episode, like usual, I want to give out some really quick thank yous. Big thanks to Jared Dixon for your generous Venmo donation this week. Also, thanks to Maggie Sulima for also making a donation through PayPal. Unfortunately, podcasts do cost money, and your contributions help me keep the podcast running and ad-free. So if you'd like to support this podcast, just click the donate button on the front page of the website myparanormalstory.com. And I also have t-shirts and mugs on sale that also help with the costs of the podcast, so every little bit helps. I also want to thank everyone who checked out my other podcast, my new one, Celebrity Paranormal Experiences. I've gotten a lot of great feedback, and uh, there's currently five episodes available, and more coming soon. You can check them out now at cpxshow.com or on the Audible app for free. It'll also be coming to other podcast apps really soon. I got to thank my good friend Ken DaCosta from Rise Up Paranormal for letting me tell one of my stories on his new show called Paranormal Reveal. And you can check out that show every Wednesday night on the Paranormal channel, which is on YouTube. You will see and hear some of the most amazing evidence of hauntings on his show. Check it out every week. I'm on episode three, but you should definitely watch them all. And by the way, if you'd like to have me as a guest on your podcast, just shoot me an email and tell me a little bit about you and your show. And of course, thanks to everyone who has emailed me or left comments on my social media. I try to answer everyone. But I also have a Q&A episode coming up. So if you have any questions about the paranormal, uh, some of the things you've experienced, Uh, Anything you want to know about paranormal investigation or if you have a question about one of my episodes, any kind of question at all, really, uh, email me at myparanormalstorypodcast at gmail.com and maybe I'll include it in my Q&A episode. Now that we've got all that out of the way, here is this week's episode. What is it about amusement parks that make them seem so haunted? Maybe it's all the horror movies that have taken place inside amusement parks, or all those episodes of Scooby-Doo we watched as kids. It just seems like no matter what amusement park you go to, there's always some sort of local urban legend about it. And growing up in Rhode Island, We had a small amusement park called Rocky Point. And this was way back before there was Six Flags parks everywhere. Pretty much, if you didn't have the money to go to Disney World, then you had to go to a local park like Rocky Point. But honestly, in a lot of ways, it was much better. Everyone in Rhode Island remembers the old commercial. Come with your family. Come with your friends. Rocky Point tradition Cause it's summertime again Rocky Point is so exciting Now Rocky Point 
amusement park had a bunch of typical thrill rides, like a log flume, Ferris wheel, free fall, a haunted house naturally, and a few different roller coasters, including an old rickety wooden one that was scary for other reasons. There were some other more tamer rides too, you know, like carousels, swing rides, and my favorite, the Music Express. And there was also lots of carnival games you could play for cheap stuffed animal prizes and, uh, you know, lots of junk food booths too. But the park was actually known for its food, especially the Rocky Point Shore Dinner Hall. This was a huge wooden warehouse on the edge of Narragansett Bay, and they just had row after row of long tables and chairs. And it was a seafood lover's paradise. Chowder, fish, clam cakes. I mean, clam cakes that people still talk about today. It was like one big giant clam bake. And even with all those tables and chairs, there was still always lines of people waiting to get in. But I wouldn't know how good the food was because even though I'm a native New Englander, I don't like seafood. So don't send me any hate mail about that. But Rocky Point was also known for live music. Some of the best musicians and groups performed there over the years, either on the outside stage in the park or in the music hall called the Palladium. I mean, I'm talking huge acts like ACDC, Janis Joplin, Sly and the Family Stone, Pearl Jam, the Red Hot Chili Peppers, the Ramones, I mean, so many others, the list goes on and on. There's literally just so much history in this park. And not just entertainment history, there's a lot of actual history too. Rocky Point Park was opened in the late 1840s by William Winslow as a place for groups to have clam bakes and enjoy some amusements, attractions, and the gorgeous views of the bay. Now it changed owners several times over the years, including once being owned by Byron Sprague of the infamous and powerful Sprague family that I've talked about in a couple of my past episodes. Now back in the old days, the amusements at the park were simple things like bowling and dancing and baseball and vaudeville and a few smaller rides like a carousel and a ferris wheel and they also had some pt barnum type carnival attractions you know in 1903 the boston bean eaters played baseball here that was actually a major league baseball team in the national league that later became what is today's atlanta braves And in 1877, then-President Rutherford B. Hayes visited Rocky Point Park for a clam bake with a group of Civil War veterans. And while he was there, he received the very first phone call to a president from Alexander Graham Bell himself. Now, it wasn't until the 1950s or so that the park began to focus more on rides and live entertainment. But the park closed for good in the 1990s due to financial difficulties. Many of those rides were auctioned off to other amusement parks, and most of the buildings since then have been demolished. Today, most of the area where the park once stood is a state park with a walking path and picnic areas and gorgeous views of the bay. 
and the infamous Rocky Point sign still stands at the entrance, as do a few leftover structures, including the famed arch that you can see through the fences. But for over a century, Rocky Point Park brought pleasure and fond memories to so many near and far. But it also had its share of disasters. Over the years, several buildings on the property were damaged or destroyed by fire. Many rides and booths suffered severe damage from storms and hurricanes. And like most amusement parks, it had its share of urban legends and tragedies, like fatal accidents, curses, even a murder. But is Rocky Point haunted? Well, naturally, a few years after it closed, a friend and I snuck in to find out. But let me tell you about some of these urban legends first. The first one is the murder. If it's true, it's rather heartbreaking. It was the summer of 1893, and five-year-old Maggie was at Rocky Point Park with her dad, Frank. Now Maggie's mother passed away while giving birth, and her dad, Frank, was suffering from mental disabilities due to a head injury he received shortly after Maggie was born. Now Frank's doctors were treating him with opium and cocaine, which were legal and a standard medical practice back then. Now according to the legend, the two had just finished dining at the dinner hall when they went for a walk along the rocky shoreline nearby. And for some reason, Frank decided to pick up a large rock and he used it to murder poor little Maggie. There are also other legends and curses that people speak about from the park. Some say the land originally belonged to Native Americans and that there were Native American burial grounds underneath the park. There's also a legend of caves in the nearby woods where people found relics and artifacts that they removed from the cave, causing bad fortune for all those who dared. And there's even a legend about a group of gypsies who owned a fortune-telling booth at the amusement park. Apparently, they were kicked out of the park when rides and other attractions became more popular. So they decided to cast a spell on the owner and the park. Naturally, the park has also had several stories and myths of people dying on the rides as well. I can remember people always telling me about the three kids who were friends of some friends who got crushed on the freefall ride. A ride, by the way, that I always refused to go on. Then there was the story about the yo-yo ride. This ride was basically a bunch of swings made out of chains and incredibly uncomfortable wooden seats. You would strap yourself into this swing and the ride would lift you up and spin you around with you just swaying out way out to the side. It was super uncomfortable and seemed so unsafe. So it was kind of easy for me to believe that at one time the chains broke and several kids got thrown off the ride. 
and then there was the skyline. This wasn't really a thrill ride. It was basically a, a gondola ride made out of a ski lift. And it would take you for a slow ride way up above the park. You'd literally be hanging over the people as the ride headed up the hill and into the woods and then around and back down again. Now, a lot of times, kids would try to jump off the ride as it would turn in the woods. So at this point of the ride, you were pretty close to the ground. So it wasn't too dangerous of an idea to jump off of it, but still risky. But the one time my friend and I were going to do it, we stopped because there was a man in work overalls standing there watching. But it wasn't until many years later that I learned a maintenance man once died right at this section of the ride. He was standing inside the large wheel that turns the ride's cables, and someone accidentally turned the ride on, squishing him to death. And according to legend, over the years, many people would see a man in overalls standing there at the end of the ride. It was probably 2001 or so when I was visiting my friend Mikey, who's a couple of years younger than me, and he lived in Warwick, Rhode Island, right near Rocky Point Park. So close that when he was younger, he could walk there from his house, and he could actually hear people screaming on the roller coasters in the distance. The park had been closed for at least a few years at this point. Most of the rides had been auctioned off or dismantled, and a large fence was put up around the park to keep trespassers out. But it wasn't very effective. Mikey and others would often climb the fence and roam around the remains of the park at night. And he swore to me that the place was haunted. So naturally, I wanted to find out for myself. We headed down the street from his house and down a path into some woods. I followed Mikey, he seemed to know exactly where to go, and we reached a section of chain-link fence that had no barbed wire or anything on top of it, so it was pretty easy to climb over and into the park. We headed down the hill, and before I knew it, I was standing there, in the midway, like I had so many other times when I was a teenager. We were right below where the Skyline ride used to be but all the chairs and cables and gondolas were all gone. All that remained were the huge poles that the cables once connected to. But all the metal ladder pieces on the sides had been cut off, you know, to keep people from climbing up on them. Not that I would have. The park was dark and eerie. Nature was already starting to reclaim the area with lots of grass and weeds growing through the cracks in the asphalt. All the thrill rides I had enjoyed so much growing up were just empty plots of cement now. You could still see the indentions in the ground where a lot of the rides were secured. We walked over to the area where the Music Express ride once stood. This was basically a sped up carousel type of ride with loud music. You'd sit in this small car, and the ride would go around in fast up and down circular motions, 
and it would go forward and backwards, all while a DJ would play heavy metal and 80s hair band rock songs. So you'd be spinning around this thing listening to Warrant and Ozzy Osbourne and everything else. We continued to walk through the park, and I could tell that there had been plenty of people sneaking in at night. Many of the buildings and fixtures and booths all had graffiti on them and empty liquor bottles scattered around. I couldn't imagine why anyone would want to destroy all these pieces of history. All I could think about was wanting to preserve everything that was still there. To be honest, for a while I totally forgot about why we were there, to find out if it's haunted. But as we continued to explore the park, I had this overwhelming feeling that we were being watched. And then I spotted a familiar sight, the House of Horrors. No amusement park is ever complete without some sort of outdated haunted house attraction. And this one was such a simple ride. You sit inside an uncomfortable fiberglass car that's connected to a mechanical track, and it slowly transports you through a maze of loud swinging doors with lots of creepy black light displays and scary mannequins in front of strobe lights, and the occasional monster would spring out in front of you. And to be honest, I don't remember ever being scared on this ride. At least, not until that night. We slowly and carefully made our way into the ride. It was dark inside, with only our flashlights leading the way. I could still smell the remnants of oil and grease from the tracks. The passenger cars were all gone by now, so we walked gingerly, trying to avoid tripping on tracks and other debris that was on the floor. Most of the displays and decorations were fading by now, and any spooky props that still remained were damaged from old age or vandals. But for some reason it felt a lot colder inside this building. We followed the path around the corner and, and deeper into the abandoned attraction. When suddenly, I heard a strange sound. Do you hear that? It sounds like a tapping or a metal clanging. Sort of sounds like a door latch that someone's trying to get open. Mikey wanted nothing to do with this. He already wanted to go back out the way we came in. But I was curious. I wanted to know where that noise was coming from. So I kept going forward stopping every few steps to listen and see if we were getting closer. And as the clanging sound got louder and louder, I knew we were getting closer. The whole time, Mikey kept saying he thought this was a bad idea. I don't know if he was afraid of there being other people in there with us, a wild animal, or a ghost. I finally walked ahead maybe four or five steps, leaving Mikey behind, and suddenly the clanging stopped. I looked to my right, and I saw what appeared to be a secret door. It was just a thin, skinny door, 
painted all black to blend in with the scenery. It was probably a secret entrance for the staff to go in and out of, or maybe a, an emergency exit for the ride. I don't know, but I walked up to the door and tried to open it, but there was no handle, no knob, nothing to grab onto. So I gave it a little push, but it was latched from the other side. And as I pushed it a few times, we could hear that familiar clanging sound of the latch. It was the same noise we'd been following. And I felt like whatever was behind that door didn't want us to be there. We were both relieved to be back outside where it was warmer and felt safer and a lot less confined. Mickey was heading back towards the woods where we climbed the fence to get in, but I wasn't done exploring yet. Come on, let's go check out the old dinner hall. And he yelled back at me, nah, it's, it's all boarded up, you can't get in. But I thought it would be kind of cool to find a way to sneak in there and see what might be left behind. Maybe I could find an old glass or a menu or something with the Rocky Point logo on it. So I headed down the hill towards the old wooden building. Mikey stood there for a minute watching me, wondering if he should go with me or not. But he eventually shouted, Wait up! We walked around the building, which had boards covering all the windows and there were locks on the main doors but we were able to find one window where the board was loose enough for us to pull it off just enough that we were able to climb in and onto the main floor of the hall. Now inside it was dark except for the moonlight shining in through some of the cracks of the boarded windows. And most of the tables and chairs were gone the ones that remained were strewn about all over the place. It was nothing but a big mess. It was trash scattered around and graffiti on some of the walls. I used my flashlight to look around on the shelves and the counters, looking for anything that might be a cool souvenir from the place. Suddenly, we heard a loud thud coming from outside the window. The window we had just climbed in. It shook the whole building as it echoed through the empty hall. As we stood there looking, we could see a shadow of what looked like a really tall man walking by outside. We hunkered down behind the counter, waiting to see who or what it was. And we watched the shadow as it walked past all the windows, past the cracks of light, and then finally disappeared. We waited and listened for a few more minutes and then decided the coast was clear. We were getting out of there. We hightailed it back out the window and into the parking lot. But before running away, back into the woods and over the fence, I turned back to see if I could figure out what had caused that loud thud against the side of the building. And right below the window we had just climbed through, there was a large stone on the ground. A stone that wasn't there when we first went in.
My Paranormal Story is written, produced, and narrated by me, Tom Stewart. Music from this episode, courtesy of Kevin McLeod at Incomptech.com. If you enjoy my stories and would like to support the podcast, there's a donate button on my website at myparanormalstory.com. I also have t-shirts and coffee mugs available. Every little bit helps. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast so you'll know when I've added new episodes and feel free to follow me on Facebook and Instagram. Just search for Tom Stewart or My Paranormal Story. Also, I recently wrote my first book called The 10 Best Tools for Ghost Hunting. If you've ever wanted to learn more about the gadgets used in paranormal investigation, you can check it out on Audible, Kindle, or Amazon.com. If you have a podcast and you'd like to have me as a guest, or if you'd like to ask me a question or tell me about your paranormal story, you can email me at myparanormalstorypodcast at gmail.com. And of course, a good review and a five-star rating will help my podcast reach even more people. Thank you so much for listening. I'm Tom Stewart, and this is My Paranormal Story.